Ah, Jesus, how are you? Haven't mm. seen you in ages. Mm-hmm. This is the Last Art Podcast. I'm mm-hmm. Paul and I'm here with Gar. All right, you fucking frigids. <laughs> little frigids. Dirty little frigids. You little frigid slow. Remember what girls used to get called yeah. that? They wouldn't frigid be with slow. someone. You frigid slow. <laughs> Hang on, what? <laughs> the paradox. <laughs> Today we're going to be talking about artists alter egos. Uh, we stayed away from side projects where stuff like... We... Yeah, we, we stayed away from people that have a side project where yeah. they are an alter ego in that and just basically a one-on-one swap for an yeah. alter ego. Like, I think they have to have put... Uh, there has to be a project that involves this new person. Yes, and it can a, be as that, yeah. Yeah, a solo thing or a band thing. The whole band can take on uh, yeah. a whole new identity. Um, like, for instance, I couldn't we couldn't pick Ziggy Stardust. Because he's, down, he's down and he's, and he's also down as David Bowie. Yeah. Almost all of these are marked as the people that... Are they are the alter ego? Yeah. They have to have that on their own. Yeah. The the reasons behind the alter egos is is where it gets kind of interesting for me. Yes. <clears throat> um, it, it's always fun to find out why they done it. And we we skipped a few sort of obvious ones. Like I yeah. suppose in a way, Tobias from yeah from Ghost from, from Ghost. That's definitely an alter ego. He's, However, that's to, a, to be fair to him, that's kind of his main. That's yeah. pseudonym now. So. Uh, He's only almost Tobias Forge is almost the fucking alter ego of Papa now, yeah. Which is what's one of the interesting things about it. Oh, there was a few that we we picked these ones because we found these were the most interesting yes. ones. And uh, I'm always fascinated by alter egos, yeah, especially if they are kept as secret as possible. Yeah, some of these were definitely not, but that's fine. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Because some uh, we're talking about people who. Have egos for a start. Yeah, exactly. And imagine <laughs> and having so much ego that you wanted someone to know that you needed another one. Yeah, like, but you also wanted them to know that it was you. Of course, come from the same body, Big same boy. human limbs and yeah. heart and shite. So, uh, without further ado, who's your first alter ego? Uh, first one is somebody I've talked about a couple of times on the podcast, but it's it's he is a, a big big thing for me. Uh, I first heard of Doctor Octagon when I was in secondary school. Um, and I hadn't a clue that Dr. Octagon was uh, uh, an alter ego. Uh, a lot of people didn't, actually, even though it was never really hidden. It's just not very obvious. So uh, Dr. Octagon is an alter ego of Cool Keith, who was in the uh, Ultramagnetic MCs. And no, I didn't notice until recently yeah. at all. That's crazy. I knew of Cool Keith, and yeah. I knew of Dr. Octagon. Never yeah. knew it was the same guy. What, the weird it gets interesting is that Cool Keith's first solo album was the Dr. Octagon album. Right. Now, the Dr. Octagon album has two names. <laughs> it has its own alter ego. So the first version of it that ever came out was just called Dr. Octagon. Yeah. And then a record label got a hold of it, and they put it out, and he wanted to call it Dr. Octagon Ecologist. So that's what it's called. Dr. Octagonist. Yeah. yeah. Now, now yeah. Uh, so Kill Keats from the Bronx, New York City. Um, Dr. Octagon himself is an extraterrestrial time-traveling gynecologist and surgeon from Jupiter. So he looks at like tentacle flaps and stuff. Yeah, he's basically a skeleton. That's uh, <laughs> uh, the, the album. The original album cover was uh, drawn by Pusshead. Would so you want? A, you would you feel. want a skeleton looking after your bits when he doesn't even have any bits of his own? Well, yeah, I, I, to be honest with you, Kill Keith himself. Like obviously, Kill Keith is not his fucking real name either. So even his stage name is a fucking alter ego. Oh, that's of fair. Himself, ha, ha, right? Most people's exactly. names are yeah. now. Kill Keith has had a fucking shit ton of alter egos he is obsessed with creating new characters and putting albums out 
by these people. So yeah. here's a couple. It's of kind them. of it's kind of a good way to compartmentalize your projects. Yeah, in a way that you don't necessarily you couldn't you, you section them off for different fans and you get to yeah. experiment a little bit more. Yeah. under a different name without any real risk. Where it, where it gets interesting is that Kill Keith stuff itself is very all of it's very um, experimental and it's very wide ranging. Um, even his own stuff under his own name. And there hasn't actually been that many albums with just his name underneath it. But he's had so many alter egos. So here's a list of a few of them. So the first one is obviously Dr. Octagon. He has another guy called Dr. Doom. He's got another guy called Black Elvis. <laughs> Dr. Ultra. More Cra- doctors. Yeah. Crazy Lou. Papa Large. Keith Korg. Dickie Longdocking. Platinum Rich. My favourite one. Underwear Pissy. <laughs> and he's got another one called Number One Producer. That's now, brilliant. Uh, that's I'm I'm sure there's more, but Jesus Christ, um, just his, the ones he released. Yeah, his his second solo album was the first album to be put out under his own name. It was called Sex Style, and that's a very famous album. Um, just because of the, the actual the 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 main track of it called Sex Style is incredible. Now we talked about it before. There's two official Doctor Octagon albums. There's the one that came out in like 2017, I think, or 2018, yeah. the last one, and the original Dr. Octagonicologist. Now, as we, I think we mentioned on the podcast before, there's one in the middle where he was paid by a label to start putting it together, and he went in and spent an evening in a, in a recording Oh, yeah, studio, yeah, you talked to those ones. Talking shy, yeah. and he, uh, they just took it and made an album out of it. Yeah. And even he himself has said, the album's fucking amazing. <laughs> but uh, it was really kind of nothing to do with me and it hurts the Dr. Octagon brand and the Cool Keith brand right. because I wasn't involved in it. But he really, really likes it. Um, the second album is called Moose Bumps, an exploration into modern day horror palation. That's the last one that came out. It's not as good as the first one. Was that the one that was written by the kid? Or put together by that German, That was the second one. Kid. Oh, no, right. that was... I can't even remember what that was called. That's, I think that might be called, just called The Second Coming of Dr. Yeah. Rockagon or something like that. Even the cover of it is just a lot of drawings. It's not, it's, yeah. it's mad. Um, but this the second official album is uh, Moose Bumps, essentially. Uh, he has released himself over 50 albums under all his alter egos. Um, the track I picked is called Area 54. That's off the most recent album. Again, it's not quite as good as the first one. But the first one was very of its time. Now, what's weird about it, Dr. Octagon is not really, it's not just Kill Keith. It's uh, Kill Keith, Dandy Automator, and DJ Qbert. That's who Kill Keith yeah. is. So the, the second one, the kind of unofficial Dr. Octagon that was put together by the kid, that doesn't have Dandy Automator or DJ Qbert involved in it. Well, Dr. Octagon Ecologist <laughs> and Moose Bumps does. So they are considered to be the two. But uh, I would say that realistically, Dr. Octagon is without a shadow of a doubt, his most famous alter ego. Um, it's the one people like the most. Yeah. Like, lyrically, it's all about cutting people up and doing surgery on them. There's, Kill Keith being Kill Keith, there's a lot of stuff about sex and not just normal sex because he sounds like a terrible person. <laughs> um, so it's like, and stuff he doesn't want related to Kill Keith's. But no, the Kill Keith's was even worse. But like, does it involve you, crazy space yeah. stuff? Well, oh, some well. of it. Some of it. <laughs> Mostly funny. the Kill Keith stuff is about like sucking piss out of women's underwear and stuff like that. That's a lot of the Kill Keith style stuff. Wow. Oh, man, you don't understand. It's well worth <laughs> It's well worth going to the Spotify and just going to Kill Keith's page and just having a little jam through it. And you'll, you'll hear some shit you've never heard before. It doesn't matter what age you are, what, how long you've been around the block. You'll hear some absolutely outrageous shit that he's into. 
Um, but the, the Doctor Octagon takes elements of that and kind of this almost horror core yeah. kind of uh, old school uh, Gravedigger style production, you know. I mean, it's down the automator. Like, Jesus Christ, everything he touches is... I love it. Yeah. He's on... He's on this somewhere somewhere as well I think, I think. Yeah, no maybe next, next podcast like Danny Almeida is a fucking monster monster really like, like, uh, Del Tron 3030 was going to get in here as well because yeah. like Del has a million alter egos yeah. as well you know um, but that's my first one that's Dr. Octagon uh, I keep meaning to listen to more Dr. Octagon it's, it's, like I said just that first album you do not listen to it in public because <laughs> half the songs start off with porn samples <laughs> also this song starts off with porn samples he so I'm telling you right now and his yeah, tentacles yeah. And his um, so d- do not piss. play this like in the office on speaker you shouldn't be doing that anyway it's us talking um, but yeah do, make sure that you've got your headphones in does or he make no one us else look quite PG very, very much so right. very much we'll so. have to up our game so. yeah. Yeah, who's your next one my first one's Frank Sidebottom Frank Sidebottom's always been super interesting to me yeah. since I was a kid I always found him really really interesting because he's Half entertaining and half terrifying. Yeah. It scares me. Yeah. He's still to this day looking at him. Feel, I feel uneasy looking at him. And I yeah. kind of like that. So Frank Sidebottom, the song is called Anarchy and Timberley. Yeah. Timberley is the place in Mantras that he's from. And he basically does so many covers where he just changes a certain word of a cover. Yeah. So to, this is Sex Pistols, yeah? Sex Pistols, yeah. Anarchy in the UK. But it's Timberley, yeah. Um, but Frank Sidebottom is an alter ego of a musician called Chris Seavey. And Chris Seavey was, um, first of all, if you don't know who Frank Sidebottom is, he's that guy in the suit with a big paper mache head that looks a bit like the artist that did Betty Boop. Yeah. He has a big grey suit, like I said, and he's, um, he talks like that. He yeah. has a, is it a, 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 yeah. a tin cover on his nose, yeah. a, a, a pincher on his yeah. nose to get that kind it, of... It almost sounds like he's talking through a kazoo. Yeah, he definitely influenced Mr. Blobby. 100%. 100%. It's just def- definitely Mr. Blobby has a lot of... Uh, I remember Frank Sidebottom as a child... I had no concept that he was a musician or anything. I, I honestly thought that he was like a zig and zag, like, like type of kids kind of character for a kids TV show. Like, well, he kind of was a, a lot of like, time. Was like a, a lot of time he was. But he started off doing gigs. So I'll get, get to that. Yeah. But he did become a children's sort of entertainer. He did kids' birthdays sometimes when yeah. he ran a bit low on money. We'll get to that as well. Imagine hiring him. But uh, speaking of zig and zag, he was on Podge and Raj doing mm. a lot of Smith's covers. He went on Padre and Roger to do a lot of Smith's covers and it was, I watched it, it's terrible. Oh, there was a light. Yeah. Blah, 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 blah. He's, a, he's, a, he's a Smith's fan. Another, he's a few links to the Smiths. Again, we'll get to that now in a second because he was in a band called, um, well, before we get into the band we was in, it's a funny story I found out because I watched the documentary properly last night. I'd seen it years ago and I couldn't really remember much about it, but um, I can't watch the half asleep. In 1971, him and his brother hitchhiked to London on stage a sit-in at Apple Records HQ demanding to see one of the Beatles. <laughs> he already was a bit mad. Uh, they were asked to leave mm. and he said, no, we're not leaving until uh, we play you one of the song. So they got actually weirdly got to meet Ringo Starr. Really? And I uh, said he was lovely. He does seem like just... He's the only one I want to meet. Fucking lovely fucking... Well, he's one of the only Probably ones he can. Only, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I'll be honest with you, the rest of them hold now, even go back years when they were alive. Yeah. I didn't get... Uh, don't, no care. So uh, he actually did record uh, a song with him because he played him, uh, played some songs to uh, the, the head of H- the HR, uh, Tony King. Um, they released several of those demos and they sent them around to other record labels. And uh, he just got rejection letter after rejection letter after rejection letter to the point where he started a little scrapbook of rejection letters. Really? And then it got so bad that he wrote a rejection letter and just got them to sign it. Mm-hmm. As he sent it, he goes, by the way, to save you the time, I've written you the rejection letter and all you have to do is to sign it. 
That's incredible it's, and, and a, weird. A, a fucking sealed addressed envelope. Yeah. So he's just like, sorry you couldn't uh, accept this music. It wasn't good enough. But he's writing it in yeah. his own. That's yeah. brilliant. Uh, he set up his own record label, Raz Label, in, in 1974 when nobody else would take him. And with that, he started a punk band called The Freshies. All right. I've so, heard the Freshies. Yeah, the Freshies were a decent enough sized punk mm. band in Manchester. They had Billy Duffy from the cult. Yeah. They had a... Uh, he was in loads of stuff. Yeah. He was, he was just going around yeah. with his guitar to yeah. gaffs every yep. single day. Yep. He was in... Um, the, sorry, Martin Jackson from Magazine and Swing Out Sister, who that song Breakout. He was yeah. in the band as well. They brought along a guitarist who uh, Frank Sidebottom or Chris Seavey refused to be in the band because he was too young. That's a shame because that was Johnny Marr. Really? Stinger. <laughs> This guy seems to have constantly <laughs> missed out something huge yeah, every just time. Always. Just sort of under. He couldn't get the huge fame. Uh, the band's biggest selling single that the Freshies had. The Freshies were kind of like... They, they call themselves the Freshies because he wanted to be a little bit more happier than the Joy Divisions yeah, and the Smiths yeah. that were out at the time. They, that you found a bit like... A bit miserable. Yeah. So uh, their first song and their biggest selling single was a song called I'm In Love With A Girl on the Manchester version Megastar Checkout Desk. <laughs> <laughs> the problem with that is he fucked up again because they wouldn't play on the radio because the ad- advertising company, standards yeah, yeah, stopped yeah, it yeah. going out. So he re-recorded it as an un- like the whole the whole title is the same. I'm in love with a girl and a Manchester unnamed megastar checkout desk. But oh. so he re- renamed the song. But then for whatever reason they accidentally pulled out all the guitars, so they re-released it without guitars, and it's really? just an absolute shambles. Oh my god. So what he did was then, one of his next thing was, he used to make, he used to make, um, to, uh, to the fan club, people would request like tapes of the bands and stuff like that. Mm. And he would put his own little intro on them, talking, uh, thanking the person cool. and stuff like that. So what he did was, the next idea he had was to create a super fan for the Freshies, who was an obsessive, strange young foot that lived with his mother. And that's how Frank Sidebottom was born. Uh. So Frank Sidebottom on those videotapes, we used to sit there watching the Freshies and go, oh my God, they're my favorite band mm. and stuff like that. So we started to do little live gigs before, like supporting the Freshies with Frank Sidebottom. Frank Sidebottom blew Freshies out of water. Yeah. People went crazy yeah. for it and stuff like that. So he also, uh, he had so much, I can't get into everything that Frank Sidebottom did because basically anytime the BBC goes, we need something, he'll jump in and go, I'll do that, I'll do that. Yeah. I'll, I'll turn up here, I'll make a show of myself. I'm basically like a, a bit of a clown. But yeah. I really liked him because it was, te- like I said, it was terrifying and I didn't quite understand it and I loved the look of Frank Sidebottom. Yeah. And it wasn't really an on enough in Ireland. It, he was on everything because he was on a lot of Manchester television, mm. like local TV and local radio. He was on local radio, actually, and he gave Mrs. Merton his, her first uh, break Thanks. on his show. Hmm. Then he created a little thing called Little Frank, which is a tiny little... Do you remember, remember Little that. Frank? Remember Little Frank. Little Frank was kind of a problem because everyone just kept roaring, Little Frank, Little Frank. Mm. And he weirdly got a little bit... Pissed off. Pissed off at that. Mm. So he'd start talking down to the doll yeah. and creating this persona of, of a more bitter Frank side. Yeah. Um the biggest thing I ever think he did was in 1989 he supported Bross in in Wembley Stadium but he was booed off stage <laughs> he was booed off stage because in, in the first few minutes he came out and goes do y'all like Bross? yeah do y'all like music? yeah do y'all like Wembley? yeah and he goes do y'all like Betamax? and everyone was going <laughs> and I was sort of booing bring on Bross so he fucked off yeah. oh. um, I was disappointed to find out he's a Man United fan but whatever this. The more I watched the documentary, it kind of got sad. He was taking much, much smaller gigs. He never paid any bills and never really paid his rents. Mm. So his family were kind of falling behind on all that. He uh, became an alcoholic as well. Yeah. Um, he died in 2010 uh, with a small, after a small bottle of cancer. He's a fucking cancer, a bit dick yeah. to all these people, isn't it? Um, I'll still 
watch clips of Frank Sidebottom. I love that movie. You see, that's another thing as well. That movie, Frank, I didn't realise that, but the Freshies had a keyboard player for a while called John Ronson. Hmm. John Ronson is the writer. Oh, really? Who wrote Frank. That's how I know it. Yeah, yeah that's he wrote, how, yeah. So, so yeah. He, took, he took the look of Frank and a bit of the way he went on and he mixed it with... The, the movie Frank is more influenced by uh, Captain, His experience. Captain Beefheart. Yeah. No, the story about Captain Beefheart recording... Uh, not Trout Mask, Trout Mask Replica. Yeah. So he mixed that with the look of Frank. Mm. But I didn't realise... I never knew John Ronson was in the Freshies for a while playing mm. keyboard. Um, that Frank movie is brilliant. And Fastbender is incredible. Yeah. Absolutely. So th- that's less about Frank Sidebottom yeah. and more about Captain Beefheart, but just with the look yeah, of yeah, that. Yeah, yeah. Um, Jesus, there's not a huge amount left to say about Frank Sidebottom. Yeah. yeah it kinda, he, you he, either get it, you don't, I think. Yeah, like things got hard and he went on the doll. He, he planned a comeback that he planned out perfectly, but he died before he could really... He went in the scratcher. He went in the scratcher, yeah. Fucking hell. It was kind of tough looking at that part of it because he was the kind of person that... He also invented one of the first... Well, I want to call it enhanced CDs, but mm. it wasn't because basically what you could do is you could hook your record player up to your computer and he released one side with a single and the other side with a, a video that would play on an... Uh, Amstrad or a, something like that yeah. through the signals that it was sending into the weird. input really fucking weird and it would create a little tiny weird video of yeah. the freshies dancing in pixels and stuff weird. like that so uh, there's a there's a video of him with Tony Blackburn doing an interview with that and Tony Blackburn was like I just don't understand what you're talking about yeah. what this is and he goes well, well I've explained it so that's it didn't he used to go around with a little keyboard yeah he had like a tiny keyboard like a, a forearm size yeah. and he just had like demo mode and he just had it, whatever, a lot of kind of beats and yeah. patterns programmed and he just, into he it. Just, like, half of the time he's singing the covers, they're in a different key completely yeah, yeah, because he's singing yeah. to the demos. Yeah, yeah. And he did <laughs> He did go with the band for a while as well like that. Uh, they were called, sorry, John Ronson wasn't in the Freshies. He was in Frank Sidebottom's band, yeah, the, yeah. the old Blimey band. They're the ones that did loads of gigs around Wigan and stuff like that. Yeah. that got quite, I was looking at videos of them. They got quite fucking punky. Really? Quite aggro. Where there was people jumping up and punching little Frank in the face and all out of his hands, <laughs> and that's just goes punks like that. Punks are weird like that, man. They start punching the doll. Yeah. Even you can see him kind of like, "What the fuck is Stop going on?" Stop little Frank. Yeah, that's it, <laughs> uh, man. Fra- Frank Sidebottom to me has always been just one of those unusual fucking characters. Mm. Uh, if you want to know more, watch that documentary, Being Frank: The Chris Seavey Story. That's all. Who's your right. next one? Uh, my next one is Hank Williams. Oh, he's got yeah, I know. Of him. And he had a, he had it's, it wasn't so much of a. Oh, God, that was it was it an alter ego? It was a weird, almost marketing ploy, is what it was. So Hank was well known for doing these kind of shit kicker songs, kind of country songs that got everybody kind of dancing and fucking doing their band dance shit. Yeah. And uh, but he really had this uh, interest in what they call talking blues and his talking uh, blues. Talking blues. It would be more. I mean, it's still it's still guitar and bass and drums, but instead of singing, he'd be talking about something almost like gospel. I kind of know. It's, yeah, yeah. interesting. I know it's like that when it goes doon 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 doon. exactly. Like, I was coming. Exactly. Along, I know. That. I love that shit. One hundred percent. Right. I love that. So he wanted to do more of this stuff. Um. So his producer was like mad dubious. He said. Uh, he said, "Listen, Hanky's been selling extraordinarily well with all the jukebox operators." And uh, there, every time we bring out a new Hank Williams uh, seven inch for the jukebox operators, they just order thousands of them. So right. if we bring out you doing a talking blues single, they're just going to buy thousands of them. It's going to go into the jukebox, and then no within within two weeks, they're all going to ring me and complain because the kids can't dance to it. Yeah. So they figured out a way. Um, so 
they figured out a way of doing it. So Williams settled on a pseudonym of Luke the Drifter. This is 1953. 1953. So they didn't really make much effort to hide the fact that it was Hank. Because it's marketable. Yeah. It seems like you can't ask your record label to push something anonymous yeah. on you if they can't hook it with something. Exactly. They kind of got the best of both worlds. So yeah. they got a new name attached to it, but they also got the coin to tell people that it was Hank Williams. So what Hank would do is if he was given a radio interview or a, 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 a written or printed interview, he would tell people that uh, Luke the Drifter, which was the, the, the AKA, Luke the Drifter was his half-brother. Right. That he used to fuck with them by saying that. So uh, the Luke the Drifter stuff, is, it's interesting. There's, there's a, the, the album is called Luke the, the Luke the Drifter LP or whatever the fuck it is. And then he made a couple more appearances on a couple of albums doing his Luke the Drifter kind of spiel. Now, where it gets interesting is that he morphed, once he had to come up with his name, he started kind of morphing the songs into an alter ego. Right. So the songs start getting, where Hank Williams was known for being a, a gargling, fucking drug-taking demon, the yeah. Luke the Drifter stuff was about loving your neighbour and living clean and going right. to church. And right. like It was almost like Luke the Drifter. That's definitely an alter ego. Yeah. So like Luke would essentially give the advice that Hank would never listen to, if you get me. Yeah. Um, it's it, it, like all the songs are kind of compassionate towards people and caring. Well, most of the Hank stuff... Like, even if the songs weren't about a him, You would personally. think it'd be the way around. The drifter would be like, whatever, man. Yeah, I'm doing all them gargling. Yeah. Doing all I think that. the whole... The, the, maybe the, the concept behind Luke Drifter was that he was a good person. He was moving around trying to teach people how Well, it's how interesting to when people use an alter ego to do a ju- juxtaposition to the initial character or even themselves that they create for us. Unlike yeah. Kill Keith, who just made an even more yeah. dirtier yeah, fucking version. it up. I'll be from space <laughs> now. Yeah, space yeah. now, because yeah. I can have different parts of the body I'm licking. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, so Luke was kind of about self-control, about loving your neighbour, uh, patience, all this kind of shit. All the things that Hank lacked right. were, was what Luke would talk about. But the, um, kid, the kids couldn't dance that, though. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, it, it, done, it done nothing. Like, there were yeah. a lot of songs, even that are talking blues, there's elements of gospel. Um, yeah. Some of them are a little bit more uh, like upbeat in tone, not necessarily musically, but upbeat in tone. It, it's interesting, isn't it, the song? It's a good little song. Um, the song is called Be Careful of Stones That You Throw. So they are sums, sums he's, yeah, he's very he's very into just messages, good messages. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. A good old Luke the Drifter. That's Luke the Drifter. Who's your next one? My next one's Buster Poindexter. Oh god. <laughs> I don't mind Buster Poindexter stuff. This is David Johansson, the New York Dolls yeah. uh Alter Ego, or pseudonym for his tongue in cheek yeah. lounge jazz singer. Years before Richard Cheese was doing it, he was doing covers of songs. But this is his fourth solo endeavour as well, wasn't it? Was it his first solo? Was it after I, the dolls kind of knocked him on the head? I, I think there might have been one David Johansson album before it didn't do anything. Yeah, I, I think, think. And then afterwards, he did good David Johansson mm. and stuff that people received. But I think there might have been one David Johansson before Buster Poindexter. I'm not 100% sure on that. Mm. But um, like I said, they're mostly covers. He had a phenomenal voice for doing mm. crooner stuff. Just And he obviously, I don't know how much he was into this before. The song is called Oh Me Oh My I'm a Fool for You Baby and it's really, really good. Yeah. Um, I'm sure he grew up listening to that stuff because, yeah. let's be honest, uh, essentially all heavy music in the world probably comes from the New York Dolls. Well, that's what I need, some I, need, I need you to help me out with New York Dolls because I like New York Dolls but mm. I know that I don't know a huge amount about them. But this guy became quite popular on his own, right? Uh, Buster Poindexter is obviously a fucking great name mm. even though it sounds like a character from a 90s teen show. 
And I always remember him in uh, Oz as well. Oz, right, yeah, because yeah. he did a voice for uh, Teen Titans cartoon. Did he? Yeah. yeah. I can't remember the character he did. But, uh, I was in Oz. I only rewatched Oz there last year, and he's, he's, a, he's a character. He's a, a yeah. Yeah. he's a kidnapper. Yeah. He has a creepy looking face. He's, he looks exactly like Stephen King. He's he looks very like Stephen King. same big fucking ape mouth. He has a bit of a fatter nose. Yeah. But he does have yeah. that wide mouth that There's looks like when he smiles, mad, yeah. it goes right to the back of his ears. Yep. And right to the back of his and neck. his upper lip, from his lip to his nose, looks like someone hit him a dig. Yeah. It's blown yeah. out. Yeah. He's got kind of a flappy, kind of weird shaped face. He looks exactly like Stephen King. He looks like he eats nothing but gluten. Yeah. And what's, what's mad about face. Stephen King? Stephen King, as he gets older, looks more like Stephen King than he did when he was younger. <laughs> he is. He's becoming more of like a drawing of yeah. Stephen King. Yep. Like a caricature that yep. someone on the beach would do of 100%. Stephen King. He's, he's grown into all of his uh, exaggerations. Yep. 100%. All of the exaggerations of his face are now becoming just even so more prominent. So has fucking David Johansson. He's starting to get there. Yeah. Um, I don't have a huge amount of it because I figured he did a 10-year run. So 87 to 97 that he mm. knocked Buster mm. Poindexter on the head. I think he had about five or six albums. Uh, I think it's four of them were like studio. And they're all mostly 90% covers as far yeah. as I know. But they're just... His alter ego to go out and do a lot of gigs dressed up in a suit with the hair slicked back as opposed yeah. to dressing like... A woman. A, a woman mixed, or sort of gender fluid, whatever yeah, that's the what New York dolls were, yeah. 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 Um, that's yeah. Buster Poindexter. Yeah. Everything comes from the dolls. Uh, yeah. The dolls and the stooges, essentially, and the stooges. It's, it's an interesting, uh, it's an interesting situation you have with the New York dolls that they were, they were only appreciated by, like they were big, but they were only appreciated by people who had greatness in them. They're 100% one of the most influential bands. Yeah. They, they lit so many fires, like you said, in mm. people who were great that needed that. Like Marcy, for a start. Obsessed. Yeah. Obsessed with the New York Dolls, yeah. And the reason there is a Smith's is because of I the New don't York know Dolls. what the crossover at Mounds and New York Dolls was. There definitely, definitely is. It's, like, did you they got bounce so, off each other? Yeah. One of the big things was Sylvain Sylvain, the guitarist from the New York Dolls, had this particular style. Yeah. He had this real rock and roll leather jacket fucking swagger to the guitar. And that was most certainly an influence. Because when, when I was a kid, the Ramones, I thought, wrote Personality Crisis. Mm. I thought that was their song. Mm. Probably down to line where Miss, Miss Tagging the MP3 right, or whatever like that. The, the beauty of the dolls was they uh, they never got crap with him. Um, all, all the records have bangers on them. Yeah. All of them. Like, the lads can write fucking yeah. songs. They might not be the greatest at putting the whole package together and selling themselves, but the boys can write fucking tunes. They definitely remind me as well. They put them on the same playlist as the Ramones and even Cheap, Absolutely. cheap Trick. Yeah, There's yeah. something about Cheap Trick yeah. that remind me of New York Dolls like all it's the, the time. The, the, the New York Dolls are the birth of kind of glam metal, the birth of punk rock. And wearing the, whatever the fuck you want. And, and just having that kind of stage persona yeah. and to be inclusive of like the LGBTQ community that was would have been very underground in New York at yeah. the time. And to be a band that is an access point for everybody. And I think that show Vinyl, they were one of the first bands yeah, they showed in, in that show. Yeah, the, that, first that, episode. That people were like, oh yep. fuck, you have to go and see first these episode, gigs, they're yeah. insane. They showed them in some sort of foundry yeah, or something like that. Yeah, yeah. yeah. The very first so, one. So yeah, that's Buster Poindexter. Who is your next one? Okay. I'm going to be honest. <laughs> the next one uh, is a guy called Kevin Barnes, and he's a singer of a band called Of Montreal. Yeah. Of Montreal is possibly the worst thing I've ever heard in my entire life. <laughs> They're not great. It's enough. just garbage. Well, I knew I knew the name, so I listened to one of the On un- Montreal so songs, bad. and I was like, no, it's not for me. Absolutely not. Uh, what is more interesting than this atrocious band <laughs> is this alter ego that Kevin Barnes invented. Right. Um. He invented it 
uh, during the recording of an album called, the album is fucking stupid, it's called fucking Hissing Fauna, Are You the Destroyer? The and what kind of music is this? Based on... Of Montreal? No, uh, no. It's on... I know it's, it is of Montreal. He just came up with an alter ego for him, the singer, to have new things to sing about. Right, okay. Now, he's mostly in the second half of this album, right? The latter half of the album is where you hear his alter ego, a guy called Georgie Fruit. Right. Right, which is a great fucking name. It is a good name. Georgie Fruit is a great fucking name. So, what Georgie Fruit It sounds is, like something an owl lad would call a gay lad. Wait, you hear this? Oh, yeah, yes, yeah. your son's fucking walking around a bit lighting the loafers with them new shoes. He's a bit of a Georgie Fruit, is he? <laughs> is your man a Georgie Fruit? Is, is he a Georgie yeah. Fruit? After 18 points of still, hear that Georgie Fruit? Yeah. Uh, so, Why were you trying to kiss him around the back of the pub then? So, no, Ge- Georgie Fruit, Georgie Fruit was uh, a 40 year old black transgender man who led a 70s funk band called Arousal. And uh, during his time with the band, he underwent several sex change operations from man to woman, back to man to woman, back to this man This is in woman. theory. This is just his character that right, he invented. Right, because I'm thinking, how far did he take it? Uh, so what he would do... Transgender, and presumably now trans race, if you think about it, but only in, yeah. only in theory. Yeah. Um, trans race, is that a thing? Yes. So, Barnes... Try and sell that one. Barnes... <laughs> Would come on stage as Georgie Fru. Oh, right. He'd be white, like. Yeah, I was going to say, you don't yeah, want to be doing the, yeah. the makeup. But he don't, would, please don't do the makeup. He would come on stage, I think, on a couple of occasions, he came on stage fully naked, just with loads of makeup on his face. Yeah. On a couple of occasions, this is the best thing ever, he'd come galloping onto the stage on a white stallion. An actual An white actual stallion. white stallion. He came galloping onto the stage and performed Fuck those Georgie Fru songs. Um, <laughs> He he appeared on two albums, uh, a second album called Skeletal Skeletal Lamping, which is actually a great name. Um, <laughs> That's actually Doctor Octagon's other <laughs> yeah, album. Exactly. Skeletal Lamping. That was uh, so. Two thousand and seven, two thousand eight is when we see in uh, Georgie Fruit emerge. Now, even a cool dude like Georgie Fruit can't save this garbage music. This is honestly some of the worst stuff I've ever heard. Now, <laughs> somebody might be into it. Have fun. Um, I can't listen to it. It's fucking terrible. It's a good story, though. It'd be interesting. Is there any videos of him up doing this stuff? Not, yeah, but it's just him wearing a bit of makeup. It's not. Yeah. He's not doing it in different ways. I want to see that horse come out. Yeah, I want to find Although it. Although it's so. I mean, animal rights activists have to be all over that. Yeah, I mean. I, 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 this, I don't think animal rights activists. Are, yeah, maybe. I don't know. I mean, the horse comes on stage, it's grand. I mean, you can get, like, war horses are trained to fucking. Ignore screaming and noises and shit. So I'm sure if that horse is used to like any sort of stage acting or whatever, they're going to use it for a movie. I don't fucking know where they got this horse. I don't even know if it's the same horse he used. But, like, I don't know where you get fucking. You, you can't yeah. be in Sarajevo one night and fucking and and, and, yeah. and Calgary the next and have the same fucking white stallion. So I, I don't know. Like imagine the shipping on that bastard. But we just have this giant box. Fuck that horse in the Georgie. Uh, right yeah, there. two we, albums. We broke the legs. Sorry. Yeah, exactly. Get sorry me. I need a new wood stallion asap. Yeah. Uh, yeah, this this band are terrible. Um, Georgie Fruit sounds like a fucking a lad I wouldn't mind having a drink with. But uh, Kevin Barnes himself can fuck off because apparently he writes. It literally sounds. This band sounds like. Of Montreal sounds like, if me personally, I was locked in a room, with a computer and a keyboard, and I start going fucking mad after about three months. That sounds good. No. No. <laughs> this is exactly the music I would make after three months of no human contact. Right. It's just... What's that move like Jagger Band? Maroon 5. Maroon 5. This sounds like Maroon 5 meets 
a fucking some sort of shy electro pop band from the fucking late nineties. Like but, that Ninja Sex Party. So yes. Right. Ninja they're new, but yeah. <laughs> like a YouTube fucking music group meets that fucking Maroon Five. I keep trying to say Jurassic Five, which would be deadly. Which would be great. Yeah. Maroon Five meets YouTube. That's what of Montreal is. Even the name of the band fucking bothers me. I don't even know they're from Montreal. I hope they are. Because otherwise that's yeah. that's fucking stupid. Like, I can't even talk about them anymore. Who's your next one? My next one is Percy Trills Trillington. I know this name. He uh the song is Dear Boy from 1971. Now, Dear Boy is already a song from 1971. We'll get into that now in a second. So, this song reminds me a lot of that song, Daydream. Uh, Daydream, I fell asleep. I don't want to mm. fuck up the algorithm with my perfect singing. <laughs> You're pitch perfect. Pitch perfect singing um, from the album, from the band Wallace Collection. And that was out a couple of years before. So, this person, I think, lifted this a little bit for this. But, anyway... We need to, before I tell you who it is, who is Paul McCartney, it's it. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Come on, it's Paul McCartney, yeah, right? Yeah, yeah. So Paul McCartney wrote, his, his second album was coming out, Ram, and he was very stressed about the public perception of it. So he decided to create Percy Trills Trillington to, to be a, an alter ego at the exact same time and release an instrumental big band yes, version of yes, the same album yes, that yes, he's already yes, releasing. Yes, but yes, with I knew no, I knew it. I knew I knew no, it. Yeah, yeah. Uh, this makes sense now, yeah. So what he started to do is, and I have to read this out because instead of trying to compartmentalise I just found this story so I have to just read it straight out. Hit me. To balance the mega hype of Ram which was the Paul McCartney's second album he decided to create an alter ego. He took out personal ads in Private Eye and the Evening Standard saying Percy Trillington seeks the love of his life. People eventually started to ask, who is Percy Trillington? So we got that kind of Frank name Side out there. Yeah, we, we, we took out loads of small ads. Then when he was on holiday in Ireland with Linda McCartney, he decided to find an actual person called Percy. So he didn't need to do this, but no. he did it anyway. How much money and how much time these yeah, folks have? Absolutely. Also, yeah, he's in the Beatles. Oh, he loves loads of time and money yeah, for people. But this is... This, Patreon.com forward slash last time podcast. <laughs> he found... An Irish lad working in a farmer's field and went up and said, would you mind doing a photo shoot with us uh, to do a bit of modelling? And after a small fee, persuaded him to... A small put, fee. Put cheap on a dinner. cunt. Yeah, well, Paul McCartney is notoriously a cheap cunt. Like, apparently, like, grim cheap. Really? Grim cheap. Didn't That's, even buy his ex-wife a new leg. <laughs> Jesus Christ. So anyway, he does the photo shoot and they put out all the photographs as... The Irish farmhand pictures were actually Percy Trillington. A fella called. His name wasn't Trillington, that was just Percy, yeah? Geez, they couldn't, you couldn't have found no, that. No, but no. it's weird that they actually found a Percy. But I think that added Especially into... Especially in Ireland. Yeah. Like what? a Percival in Ireland can yeah, be, be real hard. Uh, Percival yeah. is not a common name at no. all here. I don't know why they did that in Ireland. Now, I don't know if... A man probably said, yeah, my name's Percy, yeah. Think, I know you're Paul McCartney. Yeah. If I say no, you'll walk away. And back if then, I there say, wouldn't have yeah. been any such thing as birth certs to prove it. He, or passports or ID. He's probably off his fucking tits, man. More this is it. still two years after the Beatles broke up. Mm. He's off his fucking gig now. Yeah. So, he recorded big band instrumental versions of the whole Ram thing under the name Percy Trill Trillington. One of the people on the album, Herbie Flowers, that we talked about. Really? Yeah. Um, they didn't release it straight away. They released it six years later. And then still try to pass it off as the fact that it was something new. Yeah, everyone knew it was the exact same track listing yeah. as Paul McCartney's 71 album, Ram. So I don't know how to do it. Anyway, there was loads of linear notes trying to throw people off mm. what it was. Uh, he even became the music writer that interviewed him. He was the one interviewing himself till uh, John Lennon when they were scrapping came out and goes, that's all him doing all that. Mm. He's a fucking idiot. 
that's a uh, Percy Trill's Trillington. That Dear Boy song is the album is actually I prefer it. To, I prefer the instrumental version to the uh, actual I, uh, Paul McCartney album. Um, to be honest with you, I do. I actually have had plans for years to listen to the album, um, and I, I still haven't got around to it. Yeah. The artwork is brilliant. It looks like he has a big sort of fucking fucked up L looking head or Frank <laughs> side bottom stuff. But um, that's Percy Trills Trillington. Mm. I knew I knew this story as well. So I ha- when, I, when, I cl- when I was doing the research for this, I clicked and went, right, now I get to get to the bottom of this. Mm. And um, that song, Dear Boy, is really good, but it is, unfortunately to me, almost a now for now rip of Daydream by uh, yeah. the Wells Collection. Daydream. I have to say as well, that off Montreal song was called uh, Labyrinthian Pump. What's the name of that song? <laughs> right. Also, do me if I don't listen to it. <laughs> Who's your next one? Uh, the next one's kind of a weird, weird story, and it's a cool story. Uh, uh, the band XTC. Oh, yeah. Making plans for noise. I was going to pick these. Yeah. So, uh, okay, so XTC, mostly the singer, we call uh, Andy Partridge. Um, but the band were hired to produce an album. Um for a woman called Mary Margaret O'Hara, and the album's called Miss America. But there were... Sounds like Miss Ireland. Yeah. Um, yeah, Miss, Mar- Miss Margaret Rose O'Hara. Yeah. Um, the Miss America album. And they were hired to do this production job in it, but after a couple of weeks, it just wasn't working out. Right. So they got sacked, but they got sacked with full pay. It's this while they were XTC. Yeah. Right, because XTC are phenomenal. Yeah. Absolutely. Love so everybody album. knows they're making plans for Nigel songs. Great song. Yeah. Um, that'd be the and I think one. they have an album called English Settlement. I think that's XTC, isn't it? Uh, I can tell you now in a second. Um, so he took the money from this cancelled gig and he took a couple of the lads from XTC and the other producer, a guy called uh, John, John Leckie. And uh, the two of them, while they had this little bit of downtime, they started kind of banging out songs. Right. And they had this plan. The band they always wanted to be in when they were kids was like a psych band. They all were mad into psych music. Right. So they'd written all these fucking songs and so they took the money that they'd made from this cancelled production gig and they went in and they just recorded a fucking album. Now, the song I put up is called Vanishing Girl. That's their biggest song. And the song itself is fucking amazing. It's fucking superb. Now, where it gets weird... I really like XTC. That that English Settlement album is them and it's fucking fantastic. Where it gets weird, right, is that this fucking, this band... Um, they were called the Dukes of the Stratosphere. That's what they called themselves. Dukes of the Stratosphere. But they fully went and recorded under Dukes of the Stratosphere, yeah, yeah. which is what I like about yeah. it. Yeah. So they didn't tell anybody. Makes our job easier. Exactly. <laughs> they went out, they just recorded, made this band, the Dukes of the Stratosphere, released this album, and uh, the lead single is called Vanishing Girl, and it blew the fuck up. Really? Blew the fuck up. And all of a sudden, Dukes of the Stratosphere are like 100 times bigger than XTC. But I bet they still didn't uh, tour. I, they did. They done gigs. Yeah. No, but. I don't think they toured, but they don't gigs. He wouldn't, yeah, man. Yeah. He's not, uh, yeah, he's, yeah, he's not into shy away from yeah, all that stuff. Yeah. That's why he's releasing pseudo exactly. albums. Yeah. yeah. So, um, they definitely done gigs. This is a full band alter ego. Yeah. I like they this. came up with new names. Right. They all dressed in all the fucking shit hanging off and the flowery shorts, the bell bottom cacks, the fucking kind of uh, big Cuban heel boots, the whole bang, and they fully I think lived. every band should do this after a third album. I think so, yeah. Just, Just get that out, get the madness out of your system. Yeah. And go back to all, making... All the pressure is yeah. off you. Make the music people want. Yeah, like the record yeah. label fucking more you for doing it, but whatever, what one wants to but What Radiohead should have done. Yeah. <laughs> so... Maybe. Maybe. <laughs> Um, so yeah, the band completely outsold XTC, and they all took on alter, alter egos, dressed up in all the sixty psych gear. <coughs> um, uh, but to them, what was interesting to them, the entire thing was a fucking joke. Yeah, 
They even the, the album was released on April Fool's Day. Amazing. In nineteen eighty five. They were like, This is a pure piss take, but nobody's getting it. Nobody understands that we are full on like this is almost like a like a uh, what would you call it? Like a tribute fucking act to all the bands we wanted yeah. to, to be when we were kids. So fucking uh, Andy Partridge gave an interview a couple of years later and he was like, This is the band I always wanted to be in yeah. when I was in secondary school. Like all the bands we listened to, um, all the music that we listened to, and the people that we wanted to look like, they all looked like this. Yeah. So we just basically got to relive our youth. That's class. In this fucking jukes of the stratosphere. This song, uh, listen, don't listen to Of Montreal. Definitely listen it's to jukes of the stratosphere. I like XCC, but I've never given that album a go. Weirdly, the one with the kind of uh, modernist painting or the modernist cover on it. With their face. No, this Jukes of Stratosphere. Oh yeah, yeah. Jukes I never Stratosphere. gave. Yeah, I yeah, don't yeah. know why I never yeah. gave this a Because it, it's 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 what would you call it? There's a name for it. It's not nostalgic because it's not nostalgic to us. It's like it's so piss takey that when you see the cover and you see the name, it just blends in with everything else that you consider to be so. Well, like it's a. A montage of your nostalgia. Yeah, yeah. pretty much. Yeah. So if you look at the cover, if I was drunk album, though, I wouldn't have been able to come with that. Yeah, a montage. Yeah. And I'd be like, it's like a piss take <laughs> of your it's kid's just a joke. childhood. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, but their childhood. So when even me and you now, we whatever, we'd have a couple of psych bands every now and again that you dip into. That's fun, you know, Jefferson Airplane, blah blah yeah, blah. Yeah. But this. We talked about psych bands in the last one. Yeah. And how, uh, fucking Rocky Erickson. Exactly. Like that, yeah. So this fucking, uh, like, the album cover name, it just blends in so camouflaged that it would never stand out. Yeah. You know, and especially when you're exploring new bands, you're waiting on that like cool image to go, oh, that looks kind of cool, or a cool name to go, Jesus, yeah. that sounds kind of cool. This does not press any of those buttons. It's just the same shite. Yeah. But this fucking song, Vanishing Girl, is so fucking good. Yeah. It's so fucking good. Give it, give it a blame. It's one hundred percent. That's that's my album for the weekend. Worth the shot. Nineteen eighty five. This came out. Uh, who's your next one? It's a big one. It's an obvious one, but it's Machiavelli. Yeah. Uh, Hail Mary from the album Don Caluminati the Seven Day Theory from nineteen ninety six. It's Tupac's fucking yeah. first uh, post murder album. Yep. Um. So. I dug a little bit deeper because I wanted to know the crack with Machiavelli. I knew, I knew I had this album when it was out. Yeah. Like, I think it was released in BMG because it was one of the ones I got from Golden Discs. Remember with the, with the serial Double number? Double album, was it? Serial number. Album. No, I don't think so. No. No, it's not. Yeah, the, no. The, Most the, of his albums were double albums, but this yeah. one wasn't. Um, in fact, it was supposed to be a lot shorter. He would have wanted a shorter, but he didn't have a say because he was dead. I'm thinking of the Tug Life album that he yeah. recorded. That was the, We um, only got like nine songs of that and there was like 20 recorded. This is weirdly considered one of Tupac's best albums. Yeah, um, mostly because of this song Hail Mary. Yeah, let's be honest. And uh, me and my girlfriend is a banger mm, as well, mm. an absolute banger of a song. I was going to pick that one, but um, this is the one that is more of him. This is outrageous. But I wanted to know at the time why he did this because I never really knew why. Mm. So he came up with this idea when he was in prison. When he was in prison, he read uh, the Machiavelli book, yeah. The Prince. Yeah. Now in that book, he got so many ideas for this album because in that in that uh, book. Niccolò Machiavelli spoke about staging his own death in the book The Prince and that prompted all the theories that Tupac was still alive yeah. this is the main reason people that think that Tupac is still alive because yeah. this album came out months after he died mm. months it was supposed to be a year like, a couple of years later or not a couple of years later sorry it was supposed to be, I think it was supposed to come out eight months it was It was due to come out while he was still alive he was due yeah. to release yeah. it at this under after, Tupac yeah no no I don't think so 
No, I don't think so. Maybe it, well, maybe it was, actually. No, no, I'm pretty sure this was his plan all along. But when he got killed, Shug Knight went fast track green like this as well. They added more... They, you know, when Tupac released, um, there's mm-hmm. another 50 of them on the cutting room floor. So it was a little bit longer than I think he wanted H- it to We be. talked about this before, hence why Tupac... His, his, his estate is managed so beautifully that pe- even though he's been dead for so long, there are kids coming up now who are still into Tupac. Because there's new stuff being released all the time. It's crazy, yeah. Like it's he, his his musical legacy has been so managed yeah. beautifully that to this day, it's two thousand and fucking twenty, as we speak right now, there's some something. kid yeah. e- e- experiencing Tupac for the first time and does not know that he is dead. Yeah. And even if this was the first album you listened to by him, mm. which which I doubt it will be, but in the nineties it could have been, uh, it would have been when he was dead. So I tell you you're funny, already you're already cool. I tell you a funny story. So I had a mate of mine <laughs> <laughs> and him and his friends were 110% convinced that Tupac had, yeah, staged his own death and was living in Eastwall. East Eastwall. Because. Compton, Eastwall, you knew it was going to happen. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> because on one of the walls, I don't know if it's still there. I need. I live close to Eastwall. I keep saying to myself, I'm going to take the dogs for a walk and try and find it. There was a big giant, like one of the railway walls, and someone had just written the word Machiavelli. On the bottom of this, I think it was like John God's Road or something like that. Yeah. Someone had written Machiavelli on the wall, and all the kids were all obsessed. This was back in the day where everybody was obsessed with Bob Marley and Tupac. It was just yeah. that was the scumbag. Maybe Phil in it. Maybe, but it was. It was. If you look at everywhere, Bob Marley, Tupac. Yeah, it was. He was just and the posters of like Take Me to Your Dealer. You know what I mean? That, that's <laughs> you know, Alien with a spliff or hash leaf posters. You and know. when your brother comes back from Amsterdam, he gives you a little ashtray made of clay with the hash leaf symbols on the side. Yeah, or a, yeah. Or a Rastafarian on a skateboard, smoking yeah. a joint. You know what I mean? That type of shit. So, um, pure Amsterdam, pure, pure fucking yeah. but they were hash smoke. All of my mate, uh, Davy Gov, I've probably talked about it before, Davy Gov, if he's listening, shout out to Davy Gov and the East Wall fucking crew thinking that Tupac was alive and well in East Wall in the fucking late 90s because someone had spray painted the word Machiavelli yeah. and nobody had ever seen this word apart from reference to Tupac ever yeah. in their life so they had put like two and two together and come up with fucking like 11 and yeah. they were like Tupac man Tupac living down here he's alive because from the day he died full on everybody was convinced like it didn't even take the Machiavelli thing like people were there were stories from like the hospital that the body had gone missing and he was seen jumping into a car and missing <laughs> like there was like back in the day like fucking literally within two days of him fucking having going, a point of stout and brogans yeah exactly yeah, yeah. like he's, he's in Granger's in the Mallowhead Road like, the, the, like I remember when Tupac died and honest to God like because the, the Machiavelli album just solidified the concept of faking his own death um, the idea was already out there. So when this bit of shitty graffiti written on like in car paint on a cobbled fucking or like a, a pebble dashed wall, yeah. they were full on convinced. All the hip hop gang fucking lads from Eastwall, full on Tupac. And they were literally watching out for Tupac. Well, they were Mad. Yep. I remember it was this, this. There wasn't a huge amount of CDs of this released. It was actually for a while. It was difficult to get this album yeah. um, in the late nineties. And I always remember I was working in Golden Discs at the time, and one copy of it came in. And uh, Robbie, no, it was one of the ones from BMG where they cut the label off for uh, some reason. They just yeah, they did this that, little yeah. thing with the cut the label yeah. off and they put it out there. No, he wasn't in when they were doing. They were putting it out there. So remember they used to do that when uh, comics and magazines like they they chopped the. Uh, Chopped the logo off it, and they sent the logo back to the publishing house, which meant that it wasn't sold, and it got refund on it. 
Yeah, that's what that's what happened in this. Well, yeah. They weren't really supposed to probably sell these. I don't know what the crack was anyway. We got them in. I remember that came into gold and this was like, finally, fucking, I've, I've wanted this for a mm, while. Mm. Just before I could order stuff off the internet yeah. or whatever like that. And this Machiavelli album wasn't anywhere. It no. came out initially in 96 and loads of them got sold. And, but it was hard to find. Yeah. And I remember picking it up and putting it behind the counter for myself. And literally that day, some girl came in with our mate and goes, They got Machiavelli. She goes, You have a copy of Machiavelli here, don't you? Was one of my mates told me, have it here. Uh, and I went, Eh. Uh, she just lied. No, I should have lied. But I said, no, I don't have it. I said, I said there is one copy, but I, I've put it aside. And I went, no, it's just for my sister. She's been looking for this album for a long time. She's dying. Well, this is this is where the story is. This is where the story is going. This is where the story is going. It might bring her back to life. And I, I, I said, I was like, no, I can't. He goes, well, listen, my sister's coming in now, and you can fucking tell her that there's one here, and you're not going to sell it. She gets a wheel. And I was like, Grant, she came in on crutches, right, dragging both legs behind her up to the counter. That's real bad. Sorry. And she goes. Do you have Machiavelli? And I went, yeah, here it is. Yeah, <laughs> just, <laughs> sorry, I'm not going to fucking hell just, for you. Yeah, <laughs> just, and I swear to God, she was so happy. I was like, man, <coughs> I'm dying. She was, and she was genuinely lovely. And I said, fuck, I can't. Yeah, here you go. Like, yeah, fuck yeah. it. I'm sure I walk in this music shop. I'm sure another one come in. Never did. No, no. At the time, I think know. it was repressed a couple of years ago. Yeah, but this was yeah. the original pressing, even though they cut the yeah. somehow BMG did this weird thing where they cut the barcodes yeah. off. Yeah, I don't know what that was a return. Know, yeah, it was a return that they were allowed. Yeah. To or, or, sell or, uh, what do they call it? Um, Delete, uh, delete it. Yeah. Delete so, it, yeah. So that was a that was a story where I just went, Jesus, I'm not a cunt. I'm gonna, oh. yeah. Um, the story, the, this the al- this album was produced was unusual because it was produced by people who two back never worked before. So it was all brand new production wise, mm. which is why it sounds sometimes a little bit different, less, less weird. polished. Definitely weird. Yeah. Um, the song "Me and My Girlfriend" was sampled. Was was could sorry influenced uh, Eminem's '96 Bonnie and Clyde. Yeah, you can hear it in '90s. Yeah, it's me which, and my uh, girlfriend. There's even a line in it, isn't it? Yeah. Me and my girlfriend, which yeah. uh, Tori Amos covered. Oh yeah, yeah. yeah she done a lot of that. that yeah, and uh, also Jay Z covered, sort of covered it. He sampled in the uh, O3 Bonnie and Clyde. Yeah. So uh, Machiavelli is a good album. It's patchy, but it's not. It's still tired in a lot. Of yeah, it's not his best work, but it's no. fucking like it has that Hail Mary song. Yeah, that's great. Fucking bell. Yeah, it's brilliant. Oh. Hail Mary's fantastic song. It really is. It's oh, up there. But it's up there. And if you see, even if you see like playlists of best Tupac songs, it's always in there. Of course it is. This is always in yeah. there. Um, that's Tupac Machiavelli. It's a really cool alter ego that I'm not like, like you said, he said he wants to release it as Tupac. I don't know about that. But, mm. um, I, 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 there's something in my head about that, but yeah. it could be, absolutely could be wrong. Who's your next one? My next one is another full band transformation I like this. Uh, that you gave me. Uh, but your idea. Oh, um, was I going to use this one? Yeah, you were, gonna, you were thinking about using it. But I know was, you listen to these more, yeah, yeah. so... There was one I was patchy on. Um, I, I, wasn't, I was going to use... Uh, Green Day had uh, an alter band called... Few, the they? Network. Yeah. Um, they had a Boxcar Racer. No, that was your man, Blink-182. They had another one. Yeah. Fucking... Armitage Shanks I know that's a Green Day song they, they had another one I can't yeah. remember what it was called and it, it was kind of a they put out a couple of garagey albums under a different name yeah. um, but they came up with one called The Network uh, which is like kind of an electronic-y type of thing I, I didn't even listen to it yeah. so I'm glad I got the you came up with this one no, I, was, I had it on my list and I was like fuck man if you don't want to go that go yeah. with Mario so, um, and you were like yeah the, 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 the original band is The Bronx and uh, their alter ego is Mariachi El Bronx um, this is absolutely another case where their alter band is bigger than the actual band. That's crazy, yeah. It's fucking mad. It's fucking mad. Loads of these, like Frank Sidebottom, uh, the XTC one, they just yeah. blew up bigger yeah. than... So originally when Mariachi Le Bronx um, started putting out albums, they, they, they just done covers of Bronx songs. 
That's the way yeah. it started. Now, the whole guy, the whole thing is that all these guys are kind of Latino dudes and they grew up listening to punk rock and hardcore and metal. But they also, because they grew up in like uh, East LA or wherever the fuck it was, they had, their, their whole culture was that kind of Mexican culture with mariachi music. We should just say that the Bronx, the punk band are incredible. Fucking insane. They're so good, man. And I saw them live and live, one of my favourite gigs of all time in, yeah. in Wheelands, that's seeing the Bronx. That song, Heart Attack American, yeah. is one of the, <laughs> one of the most... Like if you were if you were in your house and your album was standing at the top of the stairs shouting at you and this song came on, you'd full on run up the stairs, Hurricane Rana or down the stairs. Bang! Yeah, and then kick him out of the man elbow or off the top stairs. Fuck you, you ma! You full of fuck you ma! <laughs> fuck you ma! The Bronx are playing, you stupid bitch. But uh, the Mariachi the Bronx do not elicit that response. They have uh, like I said, they started off doing Bronx songs, their own versions of it, and eventually start doing their own songs. This song is called, it's one of their big songs, it's called 48 Roses. It's very, very good. What, what's kind of cool about it is that they sing it in English. Yeah. Um, they don't do it in all the songs, but they do it in, um, the, the, in this particular song, it's sang in English. And it's so fucking soulful. Yeah. Like, the, I find the problem with a lot of, I like a lot of mariachi music, but I don't know fuck all about it. Cause yeah, again, I'm like, not, we've, never been, we've never been never kind of, or, yeah. uh, exposed, yeah. exposed to it before. So like when you do hear it, you go, that's really fucking good. I love those big the, acoustic bass The most bass thing we'll ever see is we're watching a movie and someone's eating in a Mexican restaurant and a, and a mariachi band come up beside exactly. them and play on their bird. That's the, literally the full exposure that was I've ever had exactly. of a mariachi band. Yeah, exactly. Uh, or uh, Desperado the movie. Or possibly La Bamba. Exactly. Shit, yeah. yeah. Fucking... Blue uh, Diamond Phillips' band. <laughs> <laughs> are they mariachis? Uh, yeah, they would have been, yeah. 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 Um, Los Lobos, yeah. yeah. Uh, they're more of a rock and roll, but yeah, they definitely have mariachi influence. Uh, so, my first exposure to mariachi music, there would have been two. There would have been the movie Mariachi, which is remade into Desperado. Yeah. Which is a um, Robert Rodriguez movie. Antonio Brown. Did he beat both of them, didn't he? Uh, he did the original no, and Desperado. No, he didn't know. Are you sure? Yeah. I thought he did no, Mariachi a, and Desperado. No, it was a different dude than Mariachi. Oh, right. Almost. No, 100%. no. And that's the actor, but I'm talking to the director. Rodriguez. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Rodriguez yeah, 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 yeah. Rodriguez's first kind of proper movie he ever made was Mariachi. Um, or El Mariachi. Um, that's what I'm saying, though. But did he do Desperado? Yes. Yeah, but, that was when he got they, a few but, bob. But they, like that original it. actor was good, but then they went, no, we need a we need Antonio Banderas. To be fair, Banderas is great. He was great. And the second one would have been from Dustle Dawn. Yeah. We had elements of that as well. Like that, that fucking, that song, that uh, song from Dustle Dawn that the band are playing it's before great. it's so good. It's, great. it's so good. I learned how to play that on guitar. Did you? Yeah, and I also learned how to play the Desperado. <laughs> I could do it now, my fingers will remember how to do it. Um, this is where it gets kind of cool. Robert Rodriguez launched his own TV channel a couple of years ago called El Rey. Right, I Robert, think I heard about this. Yeah, because I've a lot of time for that guy. He seems like a decent fucking dude. Robert Rodriguez is also mad into pro wrestling, so he commissioned a wrestling group um, <laughs> called Lucha Underground. No way! Is that something to do with him? That's Robert Rodriguez's uh, wrestling group. I okay? do love Luchador wrestling. Yeah, it's great. It's amazing. And so, Robert Rodriguez's TV channel El Rey hosts. Lucha Underground, which he is also involved in, and the bands that play in the interludes during Lucha Under Underground are 
Mariachi All Bronx. No way. So they're on that wrestling TV Brilliant. show and they fucking they do loads of bits and bobs. It's almost like a tonight show where they cut the Paul Schaefer fucking doing yeah. the, you know, deadly, that type of deadly. shit. They yeah. cut the Mariachi All Bronx doing music. Sometimes they do the music for the walk. It's all this kind of shit. Um, they also have a cool little connection with one of my favourite bands is that the, the both bands, the Bronx and Mar- Mariachi All Bronx, both of their first albums were released by Swami Records, which is John Reese, the singer from Rocker from the Crips record label. Like he that. put them out. Like rock, I'm, I'm fucking monstrous rock from the crypt fan. I just can't get enough rock from the crypt. It's literally the noise my brain makes when I'm quiet. Like when I'm not thinking, <laughs> when I am not thinking, my brain just starts playing rock from the crypt songs. I can't help it. Um, it's the only proper use of a fucking trumpet I've ever heard. Oh yeah, like, yeah. Trumpets, Trump, and saxophones, all yeah. that. It's the only proper use of them I've ever heard. Uh, Get but, them out of Put them back into this. Happy yeah, Mariachi, um, uh, Mariachi El Bronx actually played Dublin last year in the Workman's Club, and nobody knew. I did not know. I nobody went to that. knew. Everybody, went to that. everybody found out like two days later. They played a couple of festivals and stuff, just randomly. They do an electric picnic and that. Type Some of stuff. gigs in Dublin come and go without me having a clue because it wasn't advertised. That Big Frida gig. I was dying to go to that Big Frida yeah. gig, that New Orleans bounce gig. And fucking. Uh, I heard Big about Frida that. Big is like a transsexual yeah. bounce yeah. artist. From New Orleans, yeah. yeah. Amazing. Amazing music. Absolutely amazing. I can listen to one or two bounce songs in a row. It's fine. It's it too much but for that's, me. It's all the same. That's the beauty <laughs> yeah. of bounce. I actually watched a documentary about Bounce today and it's literally the whole idea is it is literally, literally the same song like the first like, it, they all have the same Bounce feel to them yeah. Yeah. well the first like oh, Jesus the first like 10 Bounce songs all used the same backing music a song called Triggerman now Triggerman it's not even the name of the song there is a they call it the Triggerman sample and it's that boom 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 that weird uh, 808 uh, yeah. snare with the pitch turned up in it yeah uh, very interesting but that's, we're not talking about that we, that's for another podcast yeah. I, I, we have to do one of those kind of weird <laughs> genres because there's loads of those I love but the fact that uh, Swami Records who put out some fucking amazing amazing fucking records John Reese, um otherwise known as Speedo he's the singer from Rock from the Crypt he's also the singer in The Night Marchers He's also been in on the podcast as well, haven't they? Nightmare just have projects so good. Yeah. Um, he's also in Hot Did, Snakes. I had to check a few of these off the side projects list. Yeah. Just to make sure we hadn't crossed over. Yeah. But the, yeah, yeah. The, there's definitely stuff we've talked about in this podcast that we 100% have talked about before. Um, that's the nature of, listen, it's the nature of fucking music. We're putting out so much class content. Patreon.com forward slash the last podcast. <laughs> Um, but that is Mariachi Albronx. Uh, I have a note here written still about Machiavelli and Eastwell at the bottom of this page. Um, but yeah, uh, Lucha Underground, uh, they, I, th- I think Mariachi Albronx put out maybe three albums. They, they generally plan to do a Bronx album and then they do a Mariachi album. But they said to themselves that because they grew up listening to Mariachi music, but they were mad into hardcore punk. They wanted to do hardcore punk albums, but they yeah. also wanted to do mariachi album, mari, mariachi albums, but they couldn't figure out a way to cross-contaminate them. So they just said, fuck it, we'll keep it separate. Yeah, nice. Right, here's your next one. My next one is a weird one because it's almost an opposite. So it's Hannah Montana, let's get crazy. Mm. This is someone who came out as an alter ego and had to carve her yeah. own self own back self from that. Right. I, didn't know, I didn't know anything about Hannah Montana, though. So I was kind of like... Right, this is weird. I knew that it was going to be a reverse one where Miley Cyrus... I keep yeah. calling her Miley Ray Cyrus. It's not Miley Cyrus. <laughs> Miley Ray Cyrus. But it's, for, come on, I don't... It is, like, fucking, let's be yeah. honest. Yeah. Um, Hannah Montana is the alter ego of Miley Stewart. Yes. He's a character 
in a Disney show. So we didn't know this already. It was already an alter ego. This is egoception. Yeah. This is it's exactly. So it's kind of fucking meta. So oh, just a quick breakdown of what I learned the other day because I had to research what the fuck Hannah Montana was. And Hannah Montana is a character called Miley Stewart who is played by Miley Cyrus mm. who has a daytime regular shift as a teenager living, like going to school and stuff like that. And in the rest of her life, she is Hannah Montana, a famous pop star mm. or whatever like that. So this was where it got fucking shaky. So not only did Miley Cyrus have to kind of create another character of herself, she had to come out and do her own music. So what happened was Hannah, Miley Cyrus's very first solo album is a Hannah Montana album, which makes no sense, but it kind, right. of, it kind of does yeah. because she was marketing herself as Miley Cyrus songs, but it's still called, the album is still called Hannah Montana 2 meet Miley Cyrus mm. so meet Miley Cyrus in 2007 is her attempt to go right I'm also not Miley Stewart oh this is God. confusing everybody yeah. so and, and then you've got that Black Mirror episode where she's like two or three different people <laughs> as well Jesus Christ so no then, wonder she's showing a fucking box on in t- 2008 she released an album called Breakout which was okay I'm not even going to call this Hannah Montana I'm done now that we're moving away from this and it was kind of still more of like a pop star yeah. so she wasn't really doing anything new it was still might as well be Miley Stewart yeah. or Hannah Montana yeah. then in 2008 this was sorry the same year she released Breakout she faced loads of criticism where at 15 years old she posed in Vanity Fair yeah, we, her, I, 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 we, we talked about this before yeah her back was like yeah. exposed yeah. and she was wrapped up in yeah, like yeah. satin bed sheets and stuff like that so she apologised for that because Disney were like apologise for that apologise <laughs> yeah. showing your dirty body yeah. so a year later she raised eyebrows again where she took a spin on a stripper pole <laughs> during a performance of Party in the USA which is one of Hannah Montana's biggest solo yeah. sort of songs at the Teen Choice Awards so then what she did was right she had to come out in 2010 with an album called Can't Be Tamed and this was like right try again from Miley yeah. Yeah. sorry this is a third attempt of Miley Cyrus on her own and the album is kind of a more mature but still kind of poppy she, she is, to be fair to her she's a great singer she really is. She's, she's, I have a lot of time for yeah. her. That we that album I talked about was called Miley Cyrus and Her Dead Pets from yeah. 2015, which is the whole kind of artsy album. Yeah, and yeah. it's so fucking mad yeah. that I have to give the girl the mad respect yeah. so, for coming out with that. So the, this third album uh, can't be tamed. Had her undercover in a leather jacket and the low cut leather pants, you know, with the the finger pulling them down like, a little bit. Not, not quite yet. Not quite yet. What then age she, is she then? Hang on. So this was... Uh, so she was, she was 15 in 2018. And this was two years later. She was 16 now. All oh, right. No, that, don't really forget now. I said that. Yeah, don't say that. So then, three years later, she went, fuck this. She released bangers. Box and out. went full hour. Yeah, full hour. Wrecking Ball. Yeah. The, the thing with Robin Tick yeah. Grinding on him with the fucking thing. Yeah. She went, listen, there's only one way to, to get rid of Hannah Montana, and that's to kill her yeah. with sex. Who are her into oblivion? Make, make, yeah. make, make people stop thinking about Hannah Montana and the yeah. thing with that way by being exploring her sexuality. I've been, I've been, I tell you this, I've been haunted by Hannah Montana for the last seven years, right? So, for a particularly weird reason. So, oh dear. I go to Poland every year. Right. And the first night I get into Poland, I stay in my missus's grandmother's house. And we stay in the spare bedroom right. in the grandmother's house. And it's just, it's it's about as Eastern European as you can fucking expect, right? It's just shitty hard bed that hurts. With like a cabinet full of knickknacks and like ceramic elephants. It sounds like Ireland yeah, in the country. It, pretty much Ireland a couple of years ago, right? Yeah. But the only thing on the wall is a Hannah Montana clock. 
Right. That is the loudest thing I've ever heard. <laughs> right. It's it's like one of these Bob's Bargains clocks. Do you know what I mean? Where it's like clonk, 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 clonk. Like uh, the one second is super loud, and the second second is the loudness like, getting ready to be loud again. Right. right? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so it's like, click, <laughs> click, click, <laughs> click, <laughs> and it fucking drives me up the fucking wall. But it's been on the. There must be some sort of like Soviet era nuclear Chernobyl battery in it that. It's been painted, that wall's been painted so many times that the actual clock is bonded to the wall. The best and way. And I can't take it off. The best way to wake up is to never sleep. Exactly. <laughs> I, but I can't to take. never sleep. I cannot take the clock off the wall to take the single double A or whatever. Really? Chernobyl battery. It's, it's been painted around <laughs> so many times. I can't take it off. And in seven fucking years, the thing is still going. Still going. So my first, every, the first time I ever, ever got into Poland. Just like fucking stay there. This fucking bastard kept me up all night, and at least twice a year for seven years because I stayed there in the last. Is that your Edgar Allan Poe clicking uh, fucking what's it the With Raven the the, ra- the yeah. ra- or the, what's the, the the clicking heart thing under the yeah. floorboards? Oh, yeah, is, that, yeah. is that yours? Yeah. Is that what yours rap, is? The Hannah Montana rap 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 the Hannah Montana clock in a small house in Poland. It's literally haunted me. <laughs> For the guts of a decade now, just Hannah Montana, and it's a picture of her with that fucking Scooby Doo writing, that Hannah Montana Scooby Doo yeah. writing on it, and it's fucking, it's like, like glow in the dark and everything. Oh my fucking god! So listen, the rest of the story writes itself. She had to kill Hannah Montana by becoming sort of full hero. Who are, yeah. Now, uh, absolutely no problem with someone fucking being a hero, being sexualizing themselves of an age where they're absolutely allowed to do that. She became a shock pop artist. She still has her fucking wits about her, don't get me wrong, the girl was. Um, but that Bangers 2003 album was when she just went, Wrecking Ball, yeah. let's fuck this up. And uh, unfortunately, song. in 2021, Miley Cyrus died of a heroin overdose. What? In 2021, yeah. Really? Okay, yeah. I can't. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it says, it says it there. It says it there. You just think... People <laughs> listening <laughs> just heard my brain <laughs> fuck itself. It says it there, Miley Ray Cyrus died in 2021 over here. I don't know what to tell you. Okay, I think I, might, I had a little micro stroke there. I'll tell you, that's, that's, I don't know what to tell you. So, that was, your, so I, who's your next one? That was my brain full on shit in the bed. In audio <laughs> form. That was exactly, I could not comprehend what you just said. I could not comprehend it. I was like, I definitely did not hear about her dying. And then you said 2021 and my brain went, yeah, yeah, okay. <laughs> I had to get a good end of the story. Oh, my fucking God. What? Oh, my fucking whole life. What year is All right. it? <laughs> okay, here's my last one. Right. Here's my last one. This is actually a really good one. This is very interesting. I put my glasses on for this. Uh, you look hurt by that. You're <sighs> have to get me breath back after that. Hang on. I can't, you might give me heartburn and all. <laughs> not even joke. I'll just find a pack of Zantac now. Which have been outlawed. I'm just right. I'm just saying. Which have been outlawed. I'm just saying. Yeah, they give cancer. There's a lot of things that give cancer. Yeah. Uh, They're getting rid of menthol cigarettes now, which obviously I don't uh, smoke. Yeah, you're not into that. No. Menthol smokes. Like prison. Uh, Okay, so my last one is uh, Prince. Now, uh, it's not what you think. It's not Prince symbol, the artist formerly known as Prince. It's not that. (coughs) In. This is going to kill. 1986. Prince had an idea and he wanted to release an album of material he had written as a completely new person. Because he's already writing songs. For his, how many girl bands has he launched? Yeah. Or kind of so, seen, seen over or I, whatever like I that? I believe and this is just after Prince and the New Power Generation kind of turned to shy. And um, 
he decides he wants to uh, release an album as a woman called Camille. Cool. So he writes a lot of songs. And he, this again, this is 1986. To be fair, like, as a woman, Prince, would you? No, I wouldn't. Even as a man. <laughs> or no. Well, no. No, he's too small and all. But dressed up as a woman, like, no. like what's your man, Ra? For, fucking Ra, Stargate. In fucking, in, uh, the, the, the guy who plays Ra in Stargate is yeah. in uh, that Irish film, the Neil Jordan thing, Crying Game. Prince as okay. Prince's own crying game, Camille. Uh, would you know? Well, we, I don't think so. I, I'll tell you exactly why. Because see that beard, yeah, Prince you're like had. fucking vaginas, whatever. <laughs> you see Prince as not really. <laughs> no, no, you don't. You don't even actually. Yeah. <laughs> right. So let's. It's we, Prince's some, beard. Sometimes when Gar gets drunk, Gar decides to uh, describe. No, I'm not getting into this. No, I can't. Shut your dirty harm out. Can't get into this. I've had enough we of this can't get already. Into this. We can't. So, okay, Prince. I was going to go on a big whole thing the way he describes his beard. Is, is, sorry. Jesus Christ. Uh, oh, fucking, you fucked me up now. Jeez, we've more podcasts today. I was really cunt. Uh, let me do this. this. This is actually good. Camille, go on. So, 1986. Uh, bear in mind, technology is what it is. It's all tape-based. All this kind of showing. He has this idea where he wants to... Uh, Put out an album as put out, this put woman. Out overly expensive toy food in Dublin. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> and like a quarter portion of what you get in any other ridiculous yeah, fucking portions, Camille. So what he does is he records all the songs at half speed and then pitches them up via tape to make himself sound like a woman. This is what he does, which wouldn't be what, what two semitones. Up? Yeah, yeah, a half a, a yeah, he had this um he had this interesting kind of concept of how to record the album where he recorded everything at half speed of the music his vocals everything and then pitched it up to make him sound like a woman now this was 100% a big project of his he was obsessed with doing this however he went to the record label and he was like listen I have this idea um, I want to put this album out and they were like oh yeah give me it he says no way it's not really me it's a, a woman called Camille. Yeah. And they're like, okay, who is she? But it's, it's me. Yeah, because normally he brings them in. Maybe one might have a black yeah. guy or whatever. Uh, no, it's me. <laughs> oh, he I'm says like, it? Yeah, yeah. Right. And they're like, oh, what do you mean? So I'm going to like release under an well, alter ego. I don't explain ego. myself to you. Exactly. <laughs> um, so he records the entire album. The record label are saying absolutely no. And the main reason they say absolutely no is because he absolutely categorically will have nothing to do with the album they're you saying can't well, even put anything to do with his name the Prince. he won't it's gonna have to go all through a different publishing company everything he, his name will not be associated with this project like, this is what I don't get right would they not just go yeah Grant because eventually it'll come out with him and we'll make loads of money later I don't think so. Like, how much money is Prince making this fucking record label that they say no to an alter ego that will eventually sell? Eventually, when people come out, they could even leak the info themselves. Or they could fuck yeah. up on the, on the fucking printing and go, oh, oh, shit, Prince. Oh, we wrote your name. Sorry, Prince. Yeah. Um, it gets kind of fucked up because Prince had... He, he had taken on this alter ego of Camille so hard that he started thinking that he maybe was Camille. That she was a real person. And really confusing way to touch yourself. Yeah, it's real. The whole thing is real fucky because it's Prince, so it's real fucky. So the record label say absolutely not. Now there are copies of this album in the wild. 
there was like a proto press. Wow. Done, right? Imagine how much that's worth. They wore the fortune. Jesus. There's no covers. It's just an LP that says Camille. Because I want to see that photo shoot. I'm not going to lie. There's no photo shoot. That's what I'm saying. Yeah. I wanted to see a photo yeah, there's shoot. None. I want to be confused. When he shaves off his sprayed on beard. <laughs> yeah. um, like Eminem's just exactly. Eminem's, it's exactly, Eminem's beard is the exact same as Prince's beard. It yeah. doesn't make any sense. But... Uh, so uh, the album basically gets scrapped, right? It gets scrapped. A couple of the songs ended up on Sign of the Times. Um, but doesn't he go under the name Camille on this? No. Didn't he? I, I'm pretty sure that on some Prince albums, he credited some of the work to Camille. Oh, he might have. I think but, he did. Now, of the album that had whatever 13, 14 songs, almost all of them, bar two or three, ended up on other like compilations and albums. So he might have put in a writing credit for Camille. Yeah, now, I think... Now, this also... That's exactly what I'm saying. He thought Camille was a real person that lived inside of him. And he blamed, this is fucked up, he blamed the cancellation of the project and the scrappage of it on a demon that possessed Camille. Not him. Camille. You know what the demon's name was? The best name I've ever heard in my entire life. Fucking Santana's Megatron. <laughs> It's better. No, the alt, the I be the I be alt. When he had Satana's Metatron, Metatron, that would be the one that gives you the gives you gives the, you the juice. Like so, he's the, the so Camille gives the juice. Minotron. No, this demon that possessed Camille inside of his head. The demon was called licking my lips here. Spooky electric. Okay. Spooky electric possessed Camille and caused her to fuck up the creation of the album. So because of that, he took a lot of those songs, fucked with them a little tiny bit, and released them. So the song I have there is... What does uh, that name Spooky Electric sound familiar? Is that someone's song or album? No. He, I think, released a couple of songs as Spooky Electric later. It became another, uh, became another like fucking alter ego of Prince. Prince had a bunch of them. Yeah. But I, I believe Spooky Electric was another name that he uh, produced, maybe even wrote songs for people under. And sold yeah. tracks to them. I think from. I heard about this. Yeah, yeah. so Spooky that's where that was the base. That was where Spooky Electric came from. Where he, uh, Spooky Electric took over Camille and corrupted the entire project. So these songs ended up on everything. So there's a this song is called uh, Shockadelica, which is actually a famous enough kind of song. Um, it's just off a B sides compilation. So like I said, like eighty percent of this Camille album is out there. Yeah, not in its original form, but pretty fucking close. Um, but he recorded the vocals slower. He done. He wrote. He wrote and recorded the entire Camille album in ten days. Can't believe Spooky Electric killed Camille. Like poor old fucking Camille. But ten days wrote and recorded the entire album. Incredible. Uh, but yeah, the record label were, were having none of it because he's so strange. If I was, I'd be like, just do whatever I say because I'm Prince. Yeah, but you have to remember, it's fucking 1986. Like he was. Mm. Yeah, he was big, but uh, didn't I, understand the whole law. They couldn't. All that crap. I don't think they understood the idea of. Obviously, multiple personalities and side projects becoming maybe slow burners. Yeah, they, they absolutely fair. could have put that out and said, Look, "Listen, we're only pressing twenty thousand of them." Also, to be fair, we can say whatever we want about what record labels should do. They can do whatever they want because also, they have the they have your catalogue and they have yeah. all the money, more money than you'll ever have. Yeah. So, yeah. Well, I think Prince may a little bit after this, Prince owned all of his own rights, but back then it would have been the yeah. labels. Also, fentanyl, like. And fucking mad drugs. Yeah. Uh, let's. And given Schneider, given Schneider had Connor uh, Sly Haymakers. Knocking fucking Sinead O'Connor Elva and uh, uh, battering Charlie Murphy at basketball. <laughs> uh, who's your last one? My last one is we're going back to the 1800s. The it's 1800s? Robert Schumann. Okay. Robert Schumann and the song is uh, Carnival Op 9. Now I don't know much about 
Up 9. Opera. Opera 9. Yeah, Opera 9. Right, maybe, yeah. I uh, full on pulled that out of my hole. Jesus, you're right. So, uh, Schumann is a German composer, yes. pianist, and before that, and really influenced, influential music critic. So, this is where his alter ego started. So, just a quick background of Robert Schumann's mental state before this happened. As he was... Um, Suffering from a mental disorder that first manifested in 1883 as severe melancholic depressive episodes, Ooh. which is just super depression. Ooh. Just a cannot move depression. Bet you had syphilis or something as well. Bet Maybe. you. Bet you. you reckon? Everyone Maybe. had fucking syphilis back yeah. then, lad. So <coughs> he would um, have crazy delusional ideas of being poisoned and threatened with metallic items for most of his adult life. But he threatened was at, with metallic items yeah does not bring those fucking scissors, really me, scissors or whatever or if, if you know that movie David Cronenberg uh, Dead Ringers yeah. remember those like he made his own instruments to fucking work on people mm. and they're outlawed now. that's a great film mm. Dead Ringers with Jeremy Irons um, so I, that's all I thought of when I, I love that movie of, Existence I love that Existence yeah, yeah it's fucking great that was in that was mentioned in uh, the Dystropia project. Remember, Johnny came in and, and helped us out with it from the Dystropia project. About existence, didn't he? They were talking about this week and they were talking about railguns as well. Really? My favorite guns yeah, of all time. Of yeah. all check, check, check out Dystropia as well. It's fucking. They were talking about existence and railguns. Um, so he was. A, I didn't know much about music critical magazines. Yeah. So, like, if you can think about back in the eighteen hundreds, there was like an NME back then. I was about to say NME probably started. But this about is what then, it, this yeah. is what it was called, right? It was music called Neo Zeit. Krift more music, which basically translates to the New Journal of Music. Yeah, I was about to say that. Yeah. So NJM is what that was back in the eighteen hundreds. So he would review Mary Jane's Mangina. Schumann, even as a composer, then would would review other people's music, like under the names Floristan and Eusebius. So I think no matter whether he wanted to give something a good review or a bad review, he would go under these two names. Yeah. But then it manifested itself into him creating music under those names. Really. So. The Carnival work, the, the one that I mentioned here, is the title of two pieces that he wrote called Floristan and Eusebius. Uh, he gave two parts of his personality to the critique of other people's music mm. that bled into his music as well under these two names. So Floristan was Schumann recording as a bold kind of like the, the loud kind of impetuous kind of stuff. And Eusebius's music was this kind of weird, introspective, dreamy, kind of relaxed stuff. And sometimes people need to... Like, remember, we talked about in the last episode with the people that had mental issues. Um, sometimes people need what to be... What do we even call that podcast? Oh, geez. 18 names. Jesus, oh, we had to come up with a Different, I called it. Different, just different. Just yeah, different, yeah. yeah. So Devin Townsend had that. Once he came out of the mental asylum, yeah. uh, finally understood that there's two parts of his personality that creates music, and it's mm. easier for him to noted as those two things and this is the same case here but much earlier 1800s job um so those were two parts of his sort of imagination and i think even he credited some of the music to these two names floristan and eusebius eusebius is a fucking great word floristan is good with eusebius eusebius something is a killer the, sounds like something from the matrix eusebius um so he, this, especially especially the Carnival works is when he bro basically broke into two, pretended to be two composers mm. that were these two people based on his writings beforehand. Um, but unfortunately, he was absolutely batshit fucking nuts mad. And we can say that because this is yeah. in the Mental Illness podcast. <laughs> he was a lula, woo, woo, hookah, crazy in the coconut. We can say this now. 
Uh, after a suicide attempt in 1854, he was admitted to a mental asylum under his own request. And uh, again, they said, yeah, they, they, this is the gas thing. There's no such thing as schizophrenia back then. No, it So they had to call it psychotic melancholy again. And uh, he died of pneumonia two years later. Did you ever hear be- about before, the he, before he was fixed? Wim- women that used to go for like depressive episodes to doctors? Having, they were just having an ill period. No, no, they used to go. This is a, this is a real thing. But well, didn't women get admitted to mental institutions when they had like uh, maybe? I know they used to like put them in, from in, in vicious periods and like, stuff like that way yeah. back in the way when. But how, how crazy is it that we're so ter- they were so terrified to acknowledge periods? No, she's crazy. There was a thing. I mean, it's easy for us to say now. There was, there was, there, yeah, there was a thing that women used to go to the doctor over. Oh, it was called like, what the fuck, uh, melancholic, melancholy delusion. No, melancholy episodes. Is it not me- melancholic disorder? So it would have been depressive like episodes. But essentially, they go to the doctor, right? And the doctor would finger bang them. This is a real thing. What? I swear to God, go and look it up. The doctor would finger bang them till they fucking spilled beans and they'd be like, fuck, I feel great now, doctor. And off they go. Because they were so ignored in the bedroom. <laughs> That's This is a real thing that happened in there's, the real world. There's a huge amount of men I know that don't need to know that story because they'll be like, oh, what? Sure, I can't see Just me. What? 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 They go. That's and, like, all they wanted is like, a bit of fucking yeah. finger banging. Yeah, but like the first vibrators and uh, ever invented and all that were for like medical use. Well, if you think about how nuts a fella'd go if he couldn't come, like murderous, ah, yeah, battering yeah, guns. Yeah, that's what we like painting and all was invented. Like all that kind of stuff. Like everything was invented because lads. So the the, the, the moral of the story like, is come. Yeah, just come. Yeah, blow muck. Just come. Spill your filthy nuts. yogurt upon the ground. <laughs> your human mayo. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Your humanus. <laughs> that was our podcast. Yeah, good night now. See ya. <laughs> that was our podcast of alter egos and how uh, artists sometimes have to uh, create a different persona. For, it could be for legal reasons. It could be for fucking many, 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 many reasons. It could yeah. be just, like we said before, for they fun. want to release a project that isn't tied to them and they can't be criticised over it. And more bands should do it. More bands to do it just based on the fact, especially the XTC story. It sounded like they needed to get that out of their system. They, they wanted to do it, yeah. Yeah. They absolutely wanted to do it. So, um, so, as always, here's the bit of the podcast nobody actually listens to. You have definitely turned it off by now. If you haven't, fair play. Um, must be your first time you listening. You missed the finger banging bit. <laughs> must be your first time listening. Uh, you can support us. I'm full of belches now because I'm after drinking loads of fucking IPAs. <laughs> Jesus Christ, go away. Uh, you can support us by going to what the fuck is it? Patreon.com forward slash Lost Art Podcast. Yes. It's less than five euros a month. We have uh, content up there that is for Patreons only. There's videos, there's uh, podcasts, there's just stupid bullshit. And uh, if you ever want to ask us a question, the easiest way to do it is on Patreon, but chances are we will answer you on Facebook as well. If you don't want to spend any money, perfectly fine. I spend fuck all money too. Not big on it, because I don't have fucking have any, because we don't have enough Patreons. Yeah. What you can do, facebook.com forward slash Patreon. <laughs> facebook.com forward slash Lost Art Podcast. Or just tag your mate in an episode of something he's talked about, or she's talked about, <laughs> or been. they've talked about. We got, some, we got some great people on Facebook this month that posted up stuff they bought because they heard it for the first time that was great. on this podcast. Martin did that, yeah. That yeah, was fucking cool. Astro Martin. Shout out to Astro Martin. He's one of our Patreons. Doesn't, doesn't take the piss. Fucking likes the content. Went out and bought some fucking records. Like, Jesus Christ. That warmed my little heart. It does. Like, I'm fucking, it does yeah. Listen, like, who are we? 
You know what I mean? We're, we're not, not fucking telling people what to listen to, but it's cool that they, they pick something. We've, oh, le- we've learned as much as you have from 100%, this 100%. 100%. We are forever searching for new stuff to listen to. Otherwise, we are literally just going to listen to fucking the same Cure album and the same Radiohead album until the day we die. Yeah. It's just, that's a fact. This so, has been an eye-opening experience. Exactly. Thank you very much. Uh, thanks for listening to the Last Hour podcast. And please, just follow us, rate, review, subscribe, all the normal shit you hear from all the other podcasts. Um, it really fucking makes a difference and it makes us feel like we're actually oh quick shout out to fucking Kev for making us do this episode as well this is actually a Kev from Thomas House we, this is I, his had, idea. I had this idea a few months ago but I didn't think there was enough on Spotify to do it until you said fucking let's just do it and even mm. if we couldn't get what's on Spotify it was just, so when you said Kev because uh, we both wanted to do Chris Gaines we both we, wanted that's, to do well, no, when I realised yeah. Chris Gaines album for the yeah. Garth Brooks thing yeah. wasn't on Spotify I thought yeah. I don't want to do that episode I, what a story what a great story. Jesus Christ. We, we, we probably should have got into that, but listen, yeah. we're, we're still, we still feed toys to Spotify sometimes, but we also yeah, know it's, that it's the gimmick. we're not. Yeah. We're not. But uh, that, was, uh, that was Kev's uh, pushing us to fucking go yeah. for it. So thank did. you very much. Thanks. Uh, and we will be back again in a week with more absolute inane ramblings. Thank you very much.